I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles with me to page 1889, where we find our Bible reading for tonight, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. <clears throat> Here now the reading of God's word. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called... Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As far as the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of the Lord stands forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work by your spirit in this sermon tonight to teach us how we are called to live as your servants not use our freedom as a license for sin, but as an opportunity to serve you and others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, I was listening to a, a podcast um, this week, and for those of you who don't know, podcasts are like the modern version of radio except you can download it and listen to it whenever you want. Um, so podcasts, I was listening to a podcast this week, and um, this podcast was about different belief systems that we, we believe. And one of the belief systems that he was going against in this uh, podcast was um, that our experiences determine um, the outcome of our life. And in this podcast, he quoted from Steve Chandler, who's, a pretty famous sort of what you would call, I guess, a life coach or a, uh, a personal improvement coach. Um, and, uh, and, and this Steve Chandler, he had this um, thing that he was teaching in his, his, um, his class, and it was something like this. You know, he said, uh, like I said one time before, it starts very early in our culture and our society that we have this broken programming that we're taught. A little girl comes home from school, and the mom says, you look happy. What happened? Did something good happen to you today? Something nice? Were kids nice to you? Did the teacher give you cookies? What happened outside of you that you had no control over? What good fortune, what nice thing happened to you that made you happy? And then if the little girl says, well, nothing happened. I just, I just made myself happy. That's weird in this family. Not around this house you don't do that. We send your brother to reform school for that. 
You know, so you get the idea, right? You, you look sad, honey. You want me to put on that video for you? So the mom puts on Cinderella and the song comes on. Someday my prince will come. Someday my prince will come. And so the little girl says, okay, well, I'm not happy. I'm not happy now, but someday my prince will come. Someday this mythological creature will come into my life and everything will be better. Then I will finally be happy. The whole culture, all the songs, everything we teach is that things come from the outside in and you don't have any control over that. Think about it. If life is good, then we're happy. If someone is mean to us, we're mean back. I was, uh, I was on Facebook back in the day when they used to have the poke. Do you remember the poke? If somebody pokes you, you poke back. If someone's nice to you, then you're nice back. If we want to be happy, something happy has to happen to us. If we want to be nice, something nice has to happen to us. If we are mean, it's because something mean happened to us. That doesn't really have to be taught, does it? I mean, that kind of attitude towards life, that comes naturally. We believe that we're just victims of our circumstances. Uh, But according to Peter, this is not true of Christians. Christians are not to be slaves to their circumstances, um, but rather they're called to be servants of God. And so, our theme tonight... And all of life's injustices. We are called to do good and entrust ourselves to God. And all of life's injustices, we are called to do good and entrust ourselves to God. And so we have two points tonight. The first is suffering servants. And the second definite article, the suffering servants, or the suffering servant. So suffering servants and the suffering servant. Let's start with point number one. All right, we got to talk about it. Verse 18 begins with the word slaves. Okay? Verse 18 begins with the word slaves. Now, what you don't see in... um, in the English translation, is that the typical word used for slave in the New Testament is um, doulos, which is, interestingly enough, is the, where we get the doula that helps you in birth from, right? Uh, she's the birthing servant. Doulos. Um, this is not that word. And it's, it's an interesting nuance because what Peter seems to be uh, talking about here is that there are differing kinds of, of, of slaves in the, in the Roman Empire. There are those who are um, um, 
you know, indentured servants, um, which is kind of what is being said here, like servants rather than slaves. And they have a measure of freedom. They have a measure of uh, opportunity, which makes sense because they're the ones that, you know, are allowed to be a part of the the church, the Christian church. Um, And so, um, and so there's already a distinction being made here, but, but the first thing that we really need to determine here <clears throat> is that when Peter here is talking about slaves, and even seems to be implying that slaves are meant to submit to their masters, even those who maybe mistreat them or uh, abuse them, <clears throat> um, there needs to be a clarification that's made about this. Um, so there's been a number of studies done about slavery in the Roman Empire, but one of the studies says that possibly up to 50% of the population would have been categorized as slaves. Um, And the way that um, the Roman Empire functioned, a lot of times was people would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off debts. A lot of times people would employ themselves into families, into households, and then they, those households would then be, uh, people would be born into that kind of slavery or servanthood, right? And so there was a large portion uh, of the Roman Empire and the function of the society that was dependent upon this kind of form of slavery. And it was complex, and it was nuanced. There were servants who were well-treated in the household. There were servants who were tutors and taught people. There were servants who were cooks. There were servants who had a lot of the kind of jobs that we think of today as professional jobs, that these were servants who did these things. And so there's a complexity to this concept of slavery in the Roman Empire at the time that Peter is writing this, okay? Um, But the thing that we shouldn't do is take this huge, complex system, that situation, cultural and societal situation, that's going on in the first and second century when Peter is writing this letter and dump it onto America, okay? And read into this word slave, the same kind of chattel slavery that was practiced in our country, unfortunately, the, the, same, uh, the racial component that was attached to slavery that happened in America, okay? Um, so that, that's unwarranted. And if you can't deal with those sort of historical nuances and contextualizations, then what you're doing is you're eisegeting the text. You're reading into the text, okay? And so when Peter here is addressing slaves, it's not a bad chronology or analogy to be able to say that probably the kind of person that he's talking about today would be employees or students in a school environment, um, or anybody who is under the authority or under the, who has a boss or who has a principal or who has, a, you see what I'm saying? That's, the kind, there's, that's not a bad um, correlation, okay? So I don't want us to think of when we read this passage and we read slaves and we think, okay, the modern day correlation is employer-employee situations or something like that. Um, that that's a bad analogy. On top of that, I want us to understand this. Peter is speaking into a first century context. 
he's addressing his people where they're at. Um, at this time, in this, con- in, in, this, um, in this country and in this context, um, households and the way that they were managed and run was the backbone of, of the society and the culture. You can read many Greek authors talking about what they call household codes, and that's what Peter's addressing here. He's talking about universal submission. He's talking about slave and master relationships. He's talking about wives to husband relationships. And, and uh, Paul even does this, talks about children to parent relationships. This is not just a biblical concept. This is something that Peter and Paul have taken from the, uh, the Greek culture, this idea of household codes, okay? Um, and Peter is speaking to where his society and his culture is right here in this moment. There is nothing wrong with, by the blessing of God and the way that the gospel has permeated our culture, for us to take advantage of the laws that have been put in place today that protect employees from unjust employers. The laws that have been put in place today that protect children from abusive homes, that protect wives and husbands from abusive situations. There's nothing wrong with that. And Peter here is not advocating that what you're to do if you work for an abusive boss who's sexually molesting you or anything like that is to just take it and to not say anything. Um, because unfortunately, at this time, Peter is speaking to people who did not have those kinds of rights and privileges. <laughs> As the gospel permeated the culture, those things came to be. As the gospel permeated the culture, this kind of slavery was eradicated. The only places where slavery as an institution has been gotten rid of are the places that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church and the kingdom of God have, have gone to. Okay, You're going to hear a lot of criticism about verses like this in our culture and our society today because people will put oppressor oppress the one who's oppressed on all this kind of stuff but that's not what's going on here in fact what we see here peter doing is giving value and rights and privileges to slaves that did not have them in fact often in the household codes that you read in the, in the greek literature slaves were not directly addressed because they're property here peter directly addresses them so I think that that's a clarifying thing that we need to understand here about this whole passage about slaves and masters, okay? Um, this is um, a household code. And also, if you take into context that prior in this very passage, Peter addressed all of the Christians um, in the terms of general submission to authorities over us. And he said... Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Um, that You could say that Peter here is using the slave or the servant as a paradigm for all Christians. Okay? So this is something that's applicable to us all. This is something that's applicable to us all. This is what Peter says about our calling as Christians. He says... Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. You could say, children, submit yourself to your parents who are over you. You could say, if you have a job, submit yourselves to your 
boss, to your employer. Um, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. In a modern day connection, we would say, okay, well, we have, job, we have laws that protect us and our rights and, and our jobs. But there are still times when our teachers can be uh, more harsh than necessary. Our bosses can be rude and disrespectful. They're not breaking the law. Our, our, our people, the people that we work with can be critical of our religion or our faith or our convictions. They're not breaking any laws, but it, they're still um, maybe um, in a polite sense mistreating us, right? Um, we are to be good to the bosses that we like and the bosses that we don't like. We're to be good to the teachers that we like and the teachers that we don't like. Or in a more broadly general sense, we're to be good to those who are in authority over us that we like and to the ones that we don't like. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is aware of God, he's conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. You have to understand here that Peter in this context is talking about um, continuing his conversation of lifestyle evangelism. How do we live our lives in a way that points people to the cross? Well, Peter's saying one way you do that is you stop living the way the rest of the world lives. You're mistreated by somebody, you am, you're embittered towards them now. You mistreat them, you don't like them, you respond in kind, right? Somebody doesn't like you, well, we don't like them. Somebody pokes you, you poke them back, right? That's how the world operates. That's, we don't need to be taught to do that. It is natural if we're mistreated by someone to want to seek what we would call revenge. It's a lot of the reason why people criticize in the Old Testament the lex talionis, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, they misunderstand that. Because God knows our human nature, and the truth is, if somebody takes our eye, we want to take their head. Right? In retaliation. So it's about restraining the kind of punishment that our sinful hearts want to do. Well, Peter says that's the way the world operates. Well, if you want to, if you want to, as your calling, begin to express the way that Christ has changed your life. Well, when somebody mistreats you, you know, I'm using the word here, injustice, very broadly. In all of life's injustices, the way in which we feel that we have gotten the short end of the stick, the way that we feel that we have been wronged or slandered by someone, the way that we feel that we have um, been mistreated because of our faith background or our religious conviction, the way that we, all these things, we're called to do good. And Peter says, if you've done nothing wrong and you're mistreated, God sees that. 
God understands that. God accepts that. But if you've done something bad and you endure whatever consequences you get for doing something bad, what good does that do? Um, Jesus will say much the same thing. Um, if you only like the people who like you, well, you're just like the Gentiles. Paul will say much the same thing. Don't return evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. You see, that's what Peter's teaching here. That's the core principle that he's teaching here, right? He's calling us to be suffering servants um, because it is in that moment in which we see someone who is being mistreated, but they've done nothing wrong, that we can be convicted of our wrong, our heart. I've got a, 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 a more recent application to this if we're going to be talking about racial issues in our country. <clears throat> a better way to apply this, this kind of principle, this idea, would be um, <clears throat> the civil rights movement. Um, the, uh, the, the push from Martin Luther to do nonviolent, um, nonviolent protests, nonviolent marches, nonviolent um, you know, they would go and they would sit or they would stand or whatever it would be. And the first time these, these images were televised <coughs> of, um, of people taking fire hoses and spraying the protesters down who were doing nothing wrong, who were, who were, who were nonviolent in every way possible. Um, that struck at the heart of our country because we thought to ourselves, Who's the aggressor here? Who's the one who's in the wrong here? You see what I'm saying? And Peter is hoping that in this context, this first century context, if slaves are good and obedient servants and they go above and beyond in the work that they are doing, and then they receive mistreatment because, just so you know, slaves weren't allowed to have a religion that was different from their master's religion. Wives weren't allowed to have a faith, conviction, a religion that was different from the master's religion. If they were to be mistreated by their master because of this new faith that they've chosen, that they're living out or whatever, but they've done nothing bad, that that would strike at the heart of their master and give them an opportunity to share the gospel. Why? Why are you being so good even though I'm being so bad? Can't you see how that could apply in our context today? An employee-employer situation. This, um, this boss is just mean, rude, disrespectful, gives the person all the worst hours, blah, 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 whatever. Then every time they come in, smile on their face, so thankful to have a job, so thankful to have employment, so thankful to be able to do this. Just, you know, why are you being so good when I've been so bad to you? Because I have Jesus, he's changed my heart, he's changed my life. This is what you're called to. Now, this is what our call, we're called to, right? But there's two things that need to be discussed in this. And that is 
where is Peter getting this idea? And uh, where are we going to receive the power to be able to do this? If this is, if this is not what's natural to us as, as human beings in our fallen state, how are we going to live this out, right? Well, th- this is where Peter turns now, and he does something that's very interesting, very complex. He puts Christ forward as an example, but he also points to that example and saying what Christ accomplished in that example also gives you the power to do what I'm calling you to do. Gives you the power to, in all of life's injustices, do good and entrust yourselves to God, okay? And this is what Peter does. He pulls from Isaiah 53. In fact, Peter's the only one who often points to Isaiah 53 in the New Testament or in, in, in his writings to say this is about Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing, right? This is what he says. Uh, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so um, a lot of times in our circles we hear um, that example kind of preaching is not good preaching, right? Um, David was brave, be a David. Daniel was brave, be a Daniel. You know, that kind of moralistic kind of preaching. But Peter seems to think that it's okay to point to Christ as an example, right? He's doing this. He says these exact words. Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Christ is saying, this is what you're called to, to be suffering servants, right? Well, let me tell you about the pivotal, the most apex of suffering servants, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He is the one who committed no sins. If there is anyone who is mistreated, who received punishment and abuse, even though they've done nothing wrong, that is Jesus. That's Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. You see what Peter's doing here. He's saying, this is the example that you're called to follow. Jesus showed us how to do this. Jesus is the one who did nothing wrong, but he did not retaliate, retaliate like the rest of the world does. What do we do when somebody hurls insults at us? We hurl them back. What do we do when, when we're uh, beaten or hit or hurt? Even though we've done nothing wrong? Well, we make threats. Instead, this is what Jesus said. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus and all of his suffering. And the suffering of the servant in Isaiah 53. What he did was he said, I know that I've done no wrong. But I entrust myself to you, God, because I know that you judge justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And this is where Peter changes from example to empowerment. From example to empowerment. How are we doing this? How are we changing the way we've always operated in our fallen condition? To respond in kind. How are we going to now, in all of our injustices, return with good and entrust ourselves to the one who 
judges justly, how are we going to do this and trust ourselves to God to not respond in kind? Well, we do this because he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, verses uh, 27, or uh, questions 27 through, through 30, we read this. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, <clears throat> made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Question 28 says, wherein consisted Christ's exaltation? Christ's exaltation consisted in his rising again from the dead on the third day, and ascending up into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father and coming to judge the world at the last day. And how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? This is the point that Peter is getting at here. Um, by uh, taking away our sins, dying to our sins, and living for righteousness, right? We're made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. And how doth the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. Christ died for us on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We do this through faith. We do this through faith. We do this by understanding by his wounds we've been healed. And then in verse 25, Peter continues his quotation of um, his loose quotation of Isaiah 53. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Um, think about it. Think about it. If life is good, then we're happy. If someone's mean to us, we're mean back. If someone's nice to us, then we're nice back. If someone likes us, then we like them. If someone doesn't like us, we don't like them. That's how the world operates. That is so natural to us in our fallen state. And what Peter is saying is the gospel should remove that quality from our lives. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we're shown that the perfect way to image God, to be made in the image of God, <laughs> because Jesus embodies that, right? Is to receive punishment even though you don't deserve it, to not open your mouth, to entrust yourself to God, to return evil, to, to return, um, you, you receive evil, but to return good, to overcome evil with good. That's the path that Jesus chose. That's the path that Peter is calling his first century audience to take. And that's the path that we're called to in this life too, in all of our situations in circumstances where we're meant to return all of life's injustices um, by doing good and entrusting ourselves to God. Um, entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. Um, so I pray that we do that. I pray that every opportunity we have when we're at the um, receiving end of ridicule or mockery, we're at the receiving end of, um, of, of, who knows, that we might see times where we're, where we're, we're uh, denied services 
because uh, we're one of those Christians. And when we're at the receiving end of um, mistreatment in our places of work or in, in our school situations, um, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to express the very character and nature of Christ. and to, uh, to, do, to do good in the face of all injustices. To not say, hey, we're slaves to our circumstances. Whatever happens to us, whatever comes to us outside of us, affects us. You know, absolutely. We have no control over this thing. But to rather say, because Christ died for me, I can die to sin. And because Christ lives, I can live in righteousness and so when I receive something hurtful, mean-spirited, um, when I receive um, all of life's injustices, whatever they may be, I can do good. I can do good in response to those. I can love that person. I can show them care, compassion, even if they show nothing to me. Because I've been changed, I've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this word, Lord. We pray that you would work this in our lives. That we would be um, slaves to you. And not to our sinful natures. That we would be your servants. To live as free men, but to not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. To use it as an opportunity to serve others. We pray, Lord, um, that we would have hearts that um, submit to our masters in whatever capacity they have in our lives. Um, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, uh, that we would uh, return wrong with good, that we would overcome evil with good, that we would endure hardship and injustices uh, because we are conscious of you and because uh, we know that this kind of behavior is commendable before you. And we pray, Lord, that we would know uh, the example that Christ has set for us. That we would be like him who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Lord, he entrusted himself to you who judges justly. And we pray, Lord, that we would entrust ourselves to you as well. Uh, we are so thankful that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We're so thankful that by his wounds we've been healed. We're so thankful that we were like sheep going astray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we pray, Lord, that we would return and return and return again as long as life is given to us. That we would, in all of life's injustices, be called and empowered by the work of Christ to do good and entrust ourselves to you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you sing?